And it has to be noted that the class we had, that the night after the class, that's when Eliezer was born. Then last week we had a class, and the next day was a bliss. And now I'm in a class right before Pesach. So these, these are really special classes. <laughs> it's a special day. What's going to happen after this class? <laughs> no, now it's right before Pesach. Okay, next week we're not going to have a class, I imagine, because it's Pesach. Okay, the week afterwards is Yisrael Chag Yeah, that's after Pesach. It's the day after Pesach. Pesach is over on Tuesday. No. For me? Because of me? Yeah, I know. Well, the kids are also all school apart from people. It's up to everyone. I mean, that's. Well, uh, we clean We clean before Pesach. No, but you have to have Pesach. You gotta take everything back. Yeah, you gotta go. It really does take They tear off all the cases. I don't know. It's up to you. You I don't know about, you know, the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Pessy will... You know, I will call you. All right. When you're in trouble, you don't know if there's going to be class. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you won't have much time until the call. Because, uh, that's right. Yeah, so... Well, maybe it's essential. You have to well, make a decision today. Yeah, they'll be home. So that makes it right. And then yeah. everybody will come with their kids. Yeah, so maybe it would be better. Let's look at who's everyone who's here right now. Right. We don't know. No. Come with kids. no. Right. No. And I don't think the girls that have the kids home no one's going to come with anyway. the kids. Okay, so they we'll have want the responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's well, that means everybody It's just you. No one's going to come with the kids. I'll be here. I look at quality. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we'll have a we'll class. We'll have a class. So we just miss one week. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's start with the story with Oblaze Ananas. Okay, this goes to 1919. 1919. What was going on in history in 1919? What are the historians here? That was the end of World War I. The uh, Russian Revolution. That's right. That's right. So there was a big balagan. That's how we say it in Hebrew. There was a big noise, a big... uh, the yeshiva was moving, the Lubavitch yeshiva had to move away because of the German advance. But Chassidim, in the middle of the war, in the middle of the revolution in the war, they went to the Rebbe, who was the Rebbe then? 1919, who was the Rebbe then? Wasn't the Rebbe the Rebbe? Where is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. One year before he passed away. That's right. That's right. Okay. Now, at the end of Yom Kippur, they made an announcement in the base of Medlish, the house of study of the Rebbe, that uh, from then on, from, from now on, the yeshiva will not 
pay for the students who come to the Rebbe and It used to be that the yeshiva would pay for students coming to the Rebbe for the holidays. But this was the middle of the war, the middle of the revolution. The yeshiva said they can't afford this anymore. So whoever stays on after Yom Kippur will have to pay for their own expenses. Those who will go back to the yeshiva and come and shuv, that's what the yeshiva was, they will receive a, a kartis, a ticket to go back. Uh, since I, the blazer says, since I anyway had a ticket to go back and forth at a two-way ticket, so I decided to stay until after Simcha Stoyal. The Bochum decided to go back right away. Those who decided to go back right away, they went to the train station, to the office, to stand in line throughout the entire night. Did I tell you this, this last week? I didn't tell you the story, okay. To stay, in order to get a ticket, they would go on the line at night. They would remain there the whole night. So in the morning, they might have a chance to get a ticket. Yeah, the first one right. That was their hope. So the Bochum went right away, right after Yom Kippur, and they're going to be there the whole night. Okay. And I didn't go to the train station because I'm going to stay with the Rebbe for Simchus And I went to sleep. Midnight. I was woken up by the Mashpia, by the Hasidic teacher, by the name of Rab Shilam, who was a famous uh, Mashpia of Lubavitch. And he tells me, the Rebbe is calling me, the Rebbe called me, Rab Shilam says, the Rebbe called me right after Abdullah, and he asked for a list of Bochum from the Yeshiva. And the Rebbe was going through each one specifically, and when he got to your name, to the blazer, the Rebbe told me, wake up blazer and tell him he should right away stand on line in the train station. Give him money that he should go back to Kharson. That's where his, that's where, that was where his house was. Uh, and the Rebbe said, if you have money to pay, you pay. That's what he's telling Rabshilim, the, the teacher. And uh, I'll give you back the money tomorrow morning. So he woke up with a at midnight giving misinformation. Uh, I, was, uh, I was in shock and I asked, and I asked, are they chasing me away? This is what he asked the Shilin. Are they chasing me away? Maybe they're kicking them out of the school because they're waking them up in the middle of the night. There must be some reason. Are they kicking me away? So Rav Shulman said, no. You weren't, but we didn't speak anything about you, and there's no reason to kick you out. You could go with the book to Yekaterinoslav, and there you'll take the train to Kharsan. Now the Gabbai of the Rebbe, the Gabbai is the secretary. The Rebbe's secretary was Rabiankov Landau. Rabbi Landau was the chief rabbi of Bnei Brat for many years. Now his son, Ramoshe Landau, is the chief rabbi of Bnei Brak. There are many uh, products from Israel which you'll notice have the Heksha of Moshe Landau. That's the son of Rabbi Landau. So Rabbi Landau was the secretary of the Rebbe. 
and uh, he had his own room in the house of the Rebbe. So I ran to Brodsky, <laughs> that's the street, like 770, and I woke up, the Bianca landed out from his sleep. This is the middle of the night, don't forget. And I says, uh, and I asked him, what, what's all this about? And then I said, I apologize for waking you up in the middle of the night, but I want to know if there was any telegram from Chalson about me. Chalson is his house. So he thought maybe something terrible happened in his house, that's why he has to go back. So he asked, is there, was there any telegram? Now, Bianchev's room was next to the kitchen, and we heard the old Rebetzin, the Rebetzin Shtel Mesorah. You have a list of the Rebetzins there also? No, no we have to do that next. Okay. The children from school have that list. Oh, really? They have this list of all the Rebetzins. Rebetzin Shtel Mesorah was the Rebetzin of uh, the Rebbe Rasham, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, and she's buried by the oil. Right next to the oil she's buried. She passed away in 1942, I think, or 43. Okay, so we heard her speaking in the kitchen about meals in the coming days. And Rabiankiv says to me, Rabiankiv Lando says, the door, the mail which comes, goes to the Rebetzin. Go to her and ask her if there are any telegrams. Now, the Rebetzin was, was mekar of me very much. She always paid attention to me from the days I was in Yeshiva Lubavitch. When there was a Fabrengen in the house of the Rebbe where only certain people were allowed, by all the Rabbeim, when the Rebbe would say in Maimah, only special chassidim were allowed to go. Our Rebbe allowed everyone to go. But by all the other Rabbeim, it was closed doors. Only people were invited. Plus, Chayzrim, those who repeated the Fabrengans, the Maimah word for word. So the old Chassidim would go, but when that, that would happen, she would call her granddaughter, the Rebetzin Chaim Mushka. Rebetzin Chaim Mushka, you know that is? She's the wife of the Rebbe, who passed away in 1988. And she would tell her granddaughter, open the back door so that the blazer could go in from the back door. And he should be present by the Fabrengan. And the Chayamushka just had a birthday. Right. That's right. Uh, that was the name you wanted to give for you. <laughs> Sorry for the disappointment. <laughs> okay. I mean, this happened. I, there was a time when Friedrich became to America. He would have Fabrengans in upstairs 770. Only people, not everyone was allowed to go. One time my father slipped in, and he went, he was hiding somewhere. It seems that the Rebbe knew about it. <laughs> the Rebbe wasn't Rebbe yet, but he, I think he was the one that got my father in. But one of the chassidim, one of the old chassidim, got very upset, this is not the right thing to do, and he kicked him out. After the Fabrengen, the Rebbe gave this chassid over his head. <laughs> what do you care if someone feels? <laughs> this is one of the distinguished chassidim. Hey.
So I went to the kitchen and I was crying, the blazer says. And the Rebetzin, the Rebetzin Shtanasara, asks me, what's all this about? Why are you crying? In the middle of the night. Right, this is all like uh, yeah. after midnight. Maybe the next one. Uh, so she asked me, why are you crying? And I asked her, was there a tele- did a telegram arrive from my house? about me. And the Rebetzin said, I looked at all the telegrams and there was no telegram for you. The Rebetzin went from the kitchen to the room next to the Rebbe, called the and I was following her, crying. And at that point, her son, who was, who was her son? Rebetzin Shtelmasala's son. That's right. The Friedrich Rebbe was then rushing into the room of his father, together with some other guest, together with someone else. And they walked in, and the Rebbetzin tells me, Laser, listen to me. You stand opposite the door. In a, in a short time, my husband will go out of the room. When the door will be open, look inside. If my husband, the Rebbe, will look at you and will motion to you to enter, you'll be able to enter. And if not, you have no choice. Go to the train station and do what Reb Shulam, the teacher, told you to do. After several hours, the door opened. The Friedrich Rebbe, this is after Yom Kippur, after, imagine all this. This is after all their fasting. This is like uh, 12 o'clock in the morning is when he was woken up. So this is like 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. After several hours, the door opened. They both left the room, which is the previous level, thank you, and uh, this guest. And um, when Oblaza told me the story, he said that the guest was a very strange person. He never saw him before. And it was something secret that he never found out what this was. It was something very strange who this person was. Because no one was able to go to the Rebbe Rashab after Yom Kippur. Okay, they both left the room, and I stood there next to the door, shaking and trembling, and the Rebbe saw me and signaled to me to enter. I went inside, tears rolling down my eyes, and the Rebbe makes with his hand, what happened to you? What are you doing here? And I said, why are they sending me? Why am I being sent home? And not to Krem and Shuk, where the yeshiva was, like everyone. The, 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 the language he said, why am I being sent away? So the Rebbe says, the issue is not sending you away. And Oblazer says, did anything happen at home? Is that why they're sending me home? Because he was wondering why he's not going to the yeshiva with everyone, all the other students. So the Rebbe went a couple seconds on his hand, and he said, uh, after a couple seconds, he says, Laser, everything's okay in your house. <laughs> so I continued asking, why don't they give me a possibility to go back to yeshiva like everyone? So the Rebbe says, listen, you go like I told you. And you should not, not everything that's known can be told. After a small break, the Rebbe says, the Rebbe adds, you should know 
that you're going to have the zechus, the merits, to be my messenger to go to Rablevik in your Katrinuslav. Who's Rablevik? He's not on the list. He's the father of the Rebbe. The Rebbe's father was called Rablevik. That's why you find a lot of boys called Rablevik. It's There's a lot of Levi Yitzchaks hanging around. So they're all named after the Rebbe's father called Rablevik. Rablevi Yitzchak, but they called him in short Rablevik. That was his nickname, Rablevik. Now Rablevik was the chief rabbi of Yakatrinuslav. The Yosef Yitzchak? The Friedrich Rebbe was the son of the Rebbe Rashan. Rablevi Yitzchak was a different family. It was like the second, third cousin of the Rebbe, of the of Friedrich Rebbe. The Rebbe's father was Rablevi Yitzchak. The Rebbe's father-in-law was Yosef Yitzchak. Okay. So uh, I'm going to... Uh, you're going to be my messenger to go to Rablevi in Katrinuslav. This is a very important mission. You're going to be there the first days of Sukkot. The last days of Sukkot, you're going to be home. Rablevi says, I'll do everything the Rebbe says, but I, I want to have one question. When will I be able to go back from my house to Kremenshuk? When will I be able to go from my house to Yeshiva? Can you imagine what's in his mind? You know, he just wants to go to Yeshiva. This is what's bothering him. How old is he at this point? This is 1919, so he's how old? He's 22. He's about 22 years old now. 1890 Le the train leaves 12 o'clock midday. Rush now to the train station. Tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, come to me and I'm going to give you the letter. I ran to the train station and I found all the students waiting online. And I went in front of everyone, in front of the line. That's what he told it to me. <laughs> he spoke with more juice. There's a whole line waiting the whole night. <laughs> I went in front of the line. So that they asked me, what's this? <laughs> what are you doing over there? <laughs> so he said, I'm a shliach of the Rebbe. <laughs> I'm the Rebbe shliach. Was the Rebbe sending him on a mission? So he went in front of the line. He said, I'm a shliach to Yekaterinuslav. So they heard that. He's in front of the line. He was like, he was lucky to be the shliach. There wasn't a common thing to be Shlia. He was lucky, so they all let him go in front. After an hour, this was already morning. Now this was, he was up the whole night now. And the cashier opens up the window, and I was from the first. When it got my turn, I asked for two cards. One to the Katrinuslav, and the other one to go to Chavzun. Katrinuslav is where his father is. That's where he's going to be the first day of Sukkot. And from there, he's going to go to Chavzun, where his house is. 
So the cashier gave me the cards, and he says, you should know these are the last cards, the last tickets. Uh, tomorrow midnight there's going to be another train. Tell everyone back that tomorrow they should wait again for the one. This is after a whole week, a whole night of fighting. Now we're not selling anymore, so you can close it, I think. So he was the only one that got it. The only one that got it, right. I ran back to my room, and it was already dawn, daybreak. After prayer and breakfast, they the gave, uh, gave an order that they should allow me to come in. And I went into the Rebbe's room, and the Rebbe already had an envelope, a sealed envelope. He gave me the letter and says, you are my shaliach, give it to Rebbe Leivik. I said, I'm going to, Rebbe Leivik says, I said to the Rebbe, I'm asking for a bracha because I'm, I'm traveling alone on the train. And what that meant was, in those days, there was fighting between the Bolsheviks, the communists, and the Cossacks. The Cossacks, both of them hated the Jews. Jews were the common enemy. It was a common custom in those days that if they saw a Jew traveling on the train, the Cossacks would literally take the Jew and throw him out of the train while it was traveling. That was a common practice of the Cossacks. So that's why Rablaisko was saying, I'm asking a bracha because I'm traveling alone in the train. So the Rebbe says, what? Alone? This is the way you taught me? This is the way a, a yeshiva student speaks? Alone? The whole world is filled with Hashem's glory. We don't love. That was the Rebbe's response. Uh, so Rablaisko says, I'm traveling on the train in another two hours. This was 10 o'clock. The train is leaving 12. And uh, there's a danger that they're going to throw me out. I'm going to be alone together with the Cossacks. And there's a danger they're going to throw me out while they're traveling, like they did to other Jews. Therefore, I'm asking for a bracha. So the Rebbe says, Hashem's glory fills the whole earth, also between the Cossacks. You travel, and you're going to have a refuah shleima. You'll have a speedy recovery. Now, the last words of the Rebbe didn't make sense to me. I didn't know what he was talking about. But I had no time to think either. I rushed to, to, to pack my belongings and to get on the train station on time. Now, the traveling was very dangerous. It was full of Kazakhs. And my, my ticket was first class, which included a bedroom. Uh, it, it was cost more money, but I hope that over there I'll meet less Kazakhs. I went to the train, and from both sides, full of beds, two floors, and uh, on top there were places for Mizvadot, what's Mizvadot? Suitcases. Uh, okay. I went inside my train, there were many Kazakhs there. They were all going to travel to fight against the soldiers of Trotsky. They even used the place for the suitcases for bed for sleeping, and they slept three in a row. When I saw them, I wasn't thinking too much. I just found the most secluded corner possible, 
but I shouldn't be sticking out. The train stopped at every station to uh, put some coal inside the train. So what should have taken 18, 18 hours of traveling ended up taking 72 hours of traveling. Remember, this was during the war. This was during the revolution. In the morning, early morning, I took out my phone and I started praying in order to finish praying before the Cossacks woke up. After some time in the middle of prayer, one of the Cossacks woke up right next to me, right opposite me, in the second or third floor, and he sees me with tefillin. And it seems like he knew what tefillin is. He got off his bed, he went to the, the, the dining room, he bought a book, a bottle of vodka, and he came back to his place and he was already high. After the other Cossacks woke up, I was already after prayer. He gave all his friends some vodka. And then he showed him on his gun, on the handle piece, there were nine marks. Nine marks. And he says to them, whenever I kill a Jew, I make a mark. I already killed nine Jews with this gun. Now I have an additional Jew. And when I kill him, I have a promise from my priest that I go straight to Ganeiden, straight to paradise. I hear his words, and my, and you can imagine how I felt. One of the soldiers say, why should you waste a bullet on this Jew? It's a waste of a bullet. We, we, we need this for the Bolsheviks. Better take him and throw him out of the window and to break his bones. And all the other Kazakhs were, were nodding their heads, like that was a good idea. Now at that point the train was going uphill, and uphill was going slow. So they decided to wait until it goes downhill when it's really going fast. And then when they throw me out, it's certain death. Now my feelings, I don't have to tell you my feelings, but yet I was sure that the Rebbe's promise, the Rebbe told me the world is filled with the glory of Hashem, even between the Cossacks. Those words of the Rebbe kept me going. Suddenly, one of the Cossacks wokes up from the ground floor. He, took, he sticks at one of his foot, feet because the other foot was uh, his broken foot. He had a cast on. He's listening to, to what's going on. And when he gets up, he says, I, I noticed that he was a high, he had a high position in the army. When he heard what they're talking about and their plans, he stood on his foot and he turns to the soldiers and I remember what he said word for word. Listen soldiers, I live in 49 Blotsky Street opposite the Rebbe's house which is 44 Blotsky. That's where a Jewish rabbi lives. Thousands go to him and listen to every word that he says. As we all know, our greatest enemy is Trotsky. And Trotsky hates the Jews terribly more than he hates us. If you, us meaning the Cossacks, if you hate, if you kill the Jew, you're doing a good favor to Trotsky, who's our biggest enemy. When he finished talking, he was quiet, but he had this big thing on him, you know, this big things. So the other Cossacks calmed down, and I felt saved. 
in the last second. Okay. Uh, that's the first part of this thing. This this continues. Oh yeah, but I don't know. It's getting late, huh? So we we'll leave it for next time, okay? It's getting late. Right. 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 Well, look, anyone who went through World War II, they all have stories like that. Yeah, but he has special stories. He has special Right. Okay. We're going to go to Pesach now. Okay. Passover. Ladies, just because it's not a story doesn't mean you have to listen. You don't have to listen. <laughs> Part of our class is not just stories. Okay. Leaving Egypt, the exodus of Egypt, is considered a foundation in Judaism. Now this is mentioned amongst the commentaries going back a thousand years and we also see it in our prayers our prayers keep on mentioning the exodus time and again it's a continuous theme Kiddush for example Kiddush we do every Friday night we always insert to remember the leaving of Egypt we have three paragraphs in Shema three paragraphs do you not to say Shema? Shema Yisrael Almost, okay, it's a combination of two things, okay. Every night you have to say Shema with them, and every morning, okay. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Noyachad. So next time you bring them, you're going to say it, okay. You could even start saying it with, what's his name? Joseph. Joseph, that's the, you start with Joseph. Right, that's right. And what's your Hebrew name? Eliezer. Eliezer, wow. <laughs> Speaking about Eliezer. <laughs> Can we just tell a story about Eliezer? Another Eliezer. I know Eliezer. He helped. 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 He Okay, so the third paragraph of Shema mentions Yitzias Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt. So the exodus of, e of Egypt is clearly a foundation in Judaism. What we're going to be discussing now, why is the exodus a foundation in Judaism? Why is it such a, an important principle? Okay, now I need some feedback. What's your opinion? Why do you think the Exodus is so important in Judaism?
no suggestions? Okay. Okay. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about now, why it's an important principle. I mean, everything you said is good, we just want to elaborate more on that. Now, the, the statement which the Ramban makes about this, Nachmanides, and the Sefer Chinuch, this goes back 800 years ago, 700 years ago, they say as follows, Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, teaches us that God is the boss of the world. He changed the nature of the world, ten plagues, and this teaches us that God creates the world and is in charge of the world. That's why this is so crucial in Judaism. That's his explanation. Okay? Now there's also another explanation. The other explanation says that the birth of the Jewish people, we became a nation at which point? When did we become a nation? When we, when we left Egypt. When we left Egypt, that's when we became a nation. It culminated with Hasina, with Mount Sinai. We became a nation when we left Egypt. Now the way we left Egypt was in a miraculous way. We became a nation in a miraculous way. Now this is not coincidental. This is very precise and indicative of the Jewish people. The Jewish people were born, were created with a miracle, and our existence is one continuous miracle. Without the power of miracle, we wouldn't be existing. If you look at the life of Oblaze and Nanus, you see this more, the way his whole life is a miracle. Now that's the life of the Jewish people. So it's not just, it's not just that Egypt shows us, the Exodus shows us that God is in charge of the world, but it also teaches us that God is in charge of the Jewish people in a very unique way, in a very miraculous way, above nature. That's another reason why leaving Egypt is a principle in Judaism, because it tells us what the Jewish people are about. They're about miracles. Now what's the lesson of this? What does this teach us? In a simple sense, the lesson is just as we leave Egypt physically, we have to leave the impurity of Egypt. The Torah tells us that Egypt was an immoral country. Egypt was a, a nation full of impurity, full of idolatry and so on. When we leave Egypt, it's not just leaving Egypt a place, we're also leaving the immorality, the contamination of Egypt. Which is another way of saying that when we leave Egypt, we have to leave our own Yetzir Hava, our own evil inclination. We have our own contamination inside ourselves, which we have to leave, the Yetzir Hava. So whenever we give ourselves over to God, and we don't listen to the Yetzir Hava, we are leaving Egypt. So that's why leaving Egypt is so important, because it tells us a direction. It tells us that we continuously have to leave Egypt. And leaving Egypt is not something which takes place once a year. It's not just on Passover. But every day we have to leave Egypt. Every day we have to remember the Exodus. Because every day we have to leave the Yetzirah. Now this is not yet sufficient explanation 
why, exod why the exodus from Egypt is so crucial to Judaism. Because if, imagine you wouldn't have the exodus. Imagine we wouldn't leave Egypt. We would never be in Egypt. We still wouldn't know that you have to not listen to the Yitzhah and serve God. Because God gave us the Torah on Mount Sinai. He gave us the Torah on Mount Sinai. We know that we have to listen to God and now listen to the Yitzhah. So what is the exodus from Egypt adding more than just saying serve God? Why is this such an... What's the important principle that's being taught to us? If it's just don't listen to Yitzhah, go out of your own Mitzrayim, your own evil, well, that I don't need Egypt. I don't need Egypt for that. I just have to listen to God, follow the Torah and Mitzvah, and I'm leaving Egypt. So we still have to understand why is this such an important principle. Now, th there's a concept which Chassidus tells us about Mitzrayim, which gives us a very important key to understanding what the Exodus is about. Chassidus says that Mitzrayim is not just the evil. Mitzrayim could be in Islam. Egypt is holiness also. Because the word Mitzrayim comes from the Hebrew word Meitzah, constraint, border. Mitzrayim is the plural of that. Constraints, borders, obstacles. So when we leave Mitzrayim, leaving Mitzrayim is not just leaving the Egypt of impurity, Leaving Mitzrayim also means the Mitzrayim of holiness. Now what's that about? How do you leave the Mitzrayim of holiness? The Arizal, who's the Arizal? He's not on the list. The Arizal lived about 400 years ago. His name was Rabbi Yitzchok Lurio. He was probably the most famous Kabbalist in the last field, the most the deepest secrets of Kabbalah in the last thousand years, even more than that. All of modern Kabbalah and Chassidus is based on the teachings of Aliza. In fact, he only lived a very short amount of time. How long did he live for? 36 years. Something like 36 years, right. He's buried in Sfas, right. There's a place called the Aliza of Mikra, stream of water from the Aliza. So the Aliza tells us that Mitzrayim is signified by the throat of a person. The narrowness of the throat signifies Mitzrayim, signifies Egypt. Now, now the explanation is as follows. A person, Hashem gave a person a brain. The brain is meant to use, to be used in understanding the greatness of Hashem. We're supposed to utilize the resources of our brains to further our service of Hashem. Now the brain is one part of the person. The problem is, how do you get from the brain to the heart? How do you get from the brain to the heart to the hands and the feet to, to do what we're supposed to be doing? That's the problem we have. Now, the brain is powerful in understanding the greatness of Hashem. The heart cannot absorb the tremendous understanding of God which the brain could possess. The heart is limited. So God created the throat should be a bridge, a narrow bridge from the brain to the heart. 
which means only the outside of the brain will go into the heart. The outside part of the understanding of the greatness of Hashem could be felt by the heart. But the depth of the understanding cannot go to the heart because it's too deep. The brain is higher than the heart. So God created the throat, which, which signifies the narrowness, the small part, the small tzimtzum, from the brain into the heart. Now when we leave Mitzrayim, what does leaving Mitzrayim? Leaving Mitzrayim means that we get our heart involved in serving Hashem beyond the regular Mitzrayim, beyond the narrowness of the throat. See, everything that God created in a person, the physical structure of a person, is important. Each, the whole structure signifies a lot. Animals were created that the head and the rest of the body are almost on equal height. God created man that the head is on top. There's a reason for that. Because by a human being, the head has to be the king, has to be in control over the whole body. By the animal, the animal is mostly instinct, mostly emotions. So therefore, God created the animal, the head, and the heart, and the rest of the body are the same level, mostly. By a person, the head is on top, because the head has to be in charge of the rest of the body. And yet, God created from the head to the rest of the body, there's like a mechitza, there's like a separation. The rest of the body is wide. Now, if, if I would be creating man, I would put the head straight on top of the shoulder without the neck. Yet God made this long neck, and the neck is, is, is the separation between the brain and the rest of the body. Why did God create this neck? According to the Arizal, this signifies the relationship between the brain and the heart. It's only a small dimension of the brain power that could go to the heart. That's Mitzrayim. That's the limitation of Mitzrayim. When you leave Mitzrayim, how are you leaving Mitzrayim? You take the heart and you elevate it, and you incorporate the depth of the brain into the heart. This is called Pnimius Halev, the inside of the heart. The outside of the heart is just a product of your understanding, going through your throat, and then feeling. That's the outside of the heart. The Pnimius Halev, the inside of the heart, that has a direct link with the Pnimius of the brain. And leaving Mitzrayim means to relate to the depth of the brain of understanding Hashem. Well, let's give an analogy to understand this. You're saying that the heart can get the depth of understanding right. of the brain? Right, right. Let's give an analogy for this. Friends. When I have a relationship with friends, I could love my friends. Well, that would be chitsoinius halev. That's the outside of the heart. That doesn't affect my life in any, in any deep way. It's just a luxury that I have a friend. I have a good time with someone. But that's called chitsoinius halev, the outside of the heart. But my relationship to my family, to my children, to my parents, my relationship to my family, that runs very deep into my heart. That's pnimius halev. This is not just a luxury. This is part of my life. Now, in our relation to Hashem, we can have two relationships. We can have chitzonius alev. Yes, I love God. It's a good idea to serve God. Why not? It makes sense. It's enjoyable. Uh, you gain in certain ways. You lose in others. But it, it, it's, it's a good deal if you look at it from all angles. The other way of getting connected to God is pnimius alev. It's my life. When you relate to God in a very deep way, where serving God becomes a vital, crucial part of my life. 
It's not a luxury. It's not panemius. Panemius means the inside. It comes from the words panim. Panim means face. The face, right, the face signifies the panemius of a soul. That's why you see the life when you look at the face of a person. When you look at the back of the person, you don't, even, you don't know what kind of person that is. In the face, you have some impression because that's the panemius, that's the inside. So leaving the sign means establishing the relationship with Hashem from chitzonius to panemius. From a superficial relationship where we serve God but to a deeper relationship where serving God becomes part of our lives. That's leaving Egypt in a different way, in a deeper way. Now, this is something which, when you serve God the whole year, you could be lacking in that. You could just say, well, am I doing the mitzvah or not? Did I, did I light the candles on Friday? And this year we're going to light the candles before Yantiv, uh, which means Monday. Monday night once, and Tuesday night twice. So I, I did the mitzvah, I did the act, and I have a kosher home and everything. Pesach tells us that's not enough. You could go through Pesach and miss the message of Pesach. See, Pesach has a body and a soul. The body of Pesach is clean the house from chametz. The body of Pesach is get matzah, get molar, and of course cook a chicken and do a good job. All this is the body of Pesach. But Pesach has a soul. The soul of Pesach is what Pesach signifies in our worshipping God. And Pesach means escape the constraints of serving God, even from the Yetzirah Tov, even from the good inclination, even from the sense of holiness. I'm serving God, I love God, but that could be constrained, that could be limited. The limitation is as much as I understand, as much as I feel, in that, that, that amount is how much I want to serve God. When you go beyond that, you're leaving with Zion. Now my brain, my holy brain, my holy heart might tell me serve God in a holy way. But leaving with Zion means to escape that, to go beyond that, to always, go a, to always be a step ahead of the game. Ahead of the game means ahead of what I feel like and I understand. That's leaving with Zion. Now, let's change the subject for a minute. We're speaking now about Pesach. And I mentioned this before. Pesach, we have different mitzvahs. The most important mitzvah of Pesach, the positive mitzvah, is having matzah. Now, we should try to have shmulah matzah, shmulah matzah, at least for the nights of the Seder, the two nights of the Seder. Shmulah matzah. Does everyone have shmulah matzah? If the, we're going to get Shmur Matzah. Once, uh, no, a couple of times I went to uh, the uh, college and I got it. Okay, okay. So, okay, so you sh okay, good. So you should get Shmur Matzah at least for the two nights of the Seidon. Shmur Matzah. In a pound? I don't know. How many come in a pound? Less than eight. In a pound? Less than eight. The boxes are in two, uh, two pound boxes. In two pounds, you're like eight. In two pounds, you have eight. One pound is like four. Really? No, it's a, yeah, it's in a, yeah. It's only four slices. You probably have a two pound. Oh, they have a two pound 
It's probably too petty. If I went over there now, would I be able to get? Probably. I don't know. I guess it's a good guy. So, an orange. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So that's matzah. Another mitzvah is we clean the house from chametz. Now you could do this minimum and maximum. Okay. Let's start with minimum. Minimum is getting rid of the chametz you know about. Get rid of the bread. Huh? Let me get my husband. Get rid of the chametz you know about. You know, the noodles, that's also hummus. The noodles, the cakes, the cookies. Rice, rice beans is not so bad. Cereal. Right, right. But beans and rice are not really such a problem. We get rid of it. The main problem is the actual hummus. Hummus is noodles, cake, cookies, bread, and cereals. Most cereals are hummus. Probably all of them. Oh, some people have noodle decoration. Right. And they paint that. That you have to get rid of. Or you have to sell it. Legally, rice is okay for Passover. The Torah never said don't have rice. But over the ages, rice became a problem because they used to mix rice with wheat and with beans. So Ashkenazim started staying away from rice and beans for Pesach. I thought because it would be pulverized and into flour, like rice flour, and look like... That doesn't matter. No. Maybe then people make a mistake. Yeah. But, but the ri- that doesn't matter. Legally, you could take rice and make, it, make bread out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are even Sephardim nowadays in Morocco that also don't use rice and beans. You know, but w- we make sure not to have rice and beans on Pesach. But when you clean, your main headache is not to clean your house from rice and beans. So if, like, if, if our house is clean and, and I make rice tomorrow, I don't, I mean, I have to be careful and I have to clean again, but I don't have to, like... You don't have to be nervous. I mean, because no. it sticks to my daughter's clothes, and I'm, like, you know, picking off every little... No, that's not so bad. No, no, no. The main thing you should get rid of is your bread, your cookies, and the crumbs also. What is it about beans that you can't have? We don't use beans for is Pesach. Sfardim use beans? Sfardim, yes. Most Sfardim use it, yes. Yes, they do. How about peas you don't use either? No, no. no. But you can use fresh thin beans. We don't use it. We don't use it. We don't use it. But if it was fresh, you could use it. I don't know. I don't know. We don't use it. So I think they were being I don't know. I mean, le- legally, it's okay. Legally, it's okay, but there are, there are many customs about this. Legally, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that will basically give you a list. Oh, that's good. You can look at that. Eggplant wasn't around at that time. Eggplant is, uh, is only the last few hundred years because it came from the Western Hemisphere. Oh, but that comes from Western or Eastern? Now, do you have do you have a, a list of the times of when when you have to search the chums and burn? If you buy in the college, if you get the matzah, so you have that list. You should get a list to know. In other words, like Sunday night, we're going to clean the house, and with a blessing. That's besides all the other cleaning. 
Then Monday morning, early morning before 10, I think we burn the Chametz of the 30. So there's a list of all the times which you should see, you should, you should know what to do. Besides that, we also do what's called Bittel. Bittel means, besides getting rid of all the bread and everything, we say a statement which roughly says, any Chametz that I forgot about, I'm nullifying it, it's not mine, anyone could take it, that means I can go to your house. Okay. It's not mine, I don't want it, and that's it. It's, it's like the dust of, of, of the ground. That's called bitto. Now, if you have that pamphlet, you'll see all that information. You too, happy Pesach. Okay, now besides that, we also sell the hummus. In other words, either we sell hummus that we know about, we close a closet full of uh, noodles, which we don't want to destroy, so you could sell it to a guy. You give this paper to a rabbi, the rabbi sells it to a guy, and you also sell any chametz that you don't know about. I don't know. Uh, the main thing is the things that you close in the closet. That's what you many, many sell. That little folder they sent you had a form to fill out. You sell your folder. Oh, it did. I, I, you know, I'm so stupid. Okay. Okay. Um, what, what would be like the more. Uh, the maximum. I'm not going to tell you the maximum because you're going to have to sit down to hear that. <laughs> I mean, what we do is, let's say, the chairs. You know, we would really clean it, we would scrub it, especially the kitchen chairs. These chairs also scrub it. What we do is we take out the 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 kitchen that we're sitting on, you oh. take that out, you screw it, you screw it off, oh, and the table will really go through. Actually, we're going to buy we're buying folding chairs in the class. I mean, in your position, you should do the minimum. No, but I can't leave the chair like this, but I know it has. No, no, you can't. No, right, right, right. But, but you should just do the minimum, just the minimum cleaning. You, you have you have Google Francis book? Yeah, sure. Read what he says over there about the minimum, and that's all you should do. <laughs> but even if you sell, you have, like, say you sell your cupboards, you still have to clean them, right? No. No. If you sell, it's not yours. Why should you clean it for? Women, that's maximum. Why do people do that? Why do people do that? They what do they want? They, they clean the area that they're selling. No. Like all the cupboards, all the pots and pans, and all the dishes. Clean it. And all you don't have to clean it. You have to clean no. If you sell it, you don't have to clean it. No, but the shelf that no, the clothes no, no, no. is on, you clean it. Well, the, the, the outside you mean? Maybe the outside, the parts you see. No, but the shelf itself. The in, but you sold it. Why should you clean it for? If you sell it, you don't have to clean it. The shelves also. If you sell the shelf, why should you clean no, it for? No, if you don't sell the shelf. Ah, if it's yours, then you should clean it. Yes. Oh, oh of course. But, but, but if you're selling everything, then Sura covers everything over with new. Uh, right. Oh that, 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 that's she's using that Right. Even though she's covering right. over, she's right. 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 so she washes the pantry. Say that you're selling the whole pantry. Well, that's what they do. Like I'm selling the whole laundry. The wall behind the shelf is gone. The shelf. <laughs> 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 you have to clean the shelf. They don't do paint jobs. They don't do that.
you have to clean the car from Chomets. The place where the children play, you should vacuum and check. And the main thing is Sunday night, you go with a candle or a flashlight, better candle, the feather right, and, and you look around, you know, be careful with the fire, the flame. Okay. And you have to make sure that there shouldn't be comments. Like, we would check every, you open up the, you know, yeah. you go through the shell. Yeah, like we have grapes. The kids put Cheerios in the grapes. Really? It's not like I'm selling that. I'm using no. the grapes. No. The kids right. out of it. Right. So you have to, that's the kind of thing that you right. have to check. I never couch. thought of that. You know, we go yeah. inside the couch. The books, well, the books, you could sell them, but you want to use it. I don't know. I think books are not going to be a problem. What I do do is, anywhere the children go, I take out all the books. Yeah. And just the, the shelf I clean. Yeah. But the books itself, if you don't see any comments, you want to go maximum to clean it, but you don't have to. You just put it back. Or the books you know that you bring to the table. You have to have like new prints. And it goes like this. Pay stuff, right? It's better. Yeah, it's better to have I try the whole year not to put any books in the comments. That's right. I don't always succeed. I mean, I always do that, but my family just doesn't. Yeah. But I always try to never, should never touch comments. Yeah. But, but the, the ventures, the you should sell, right? You know, you're feeding them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you Well, what about Shabbos? How do you use them for Shabbos? This particular Shabbos, being one day before. Well, uh, some people will do the conversion before Shabbos. No. But most people do after Shabbos. Yeah. The conversion. Conversion means from the pesa, from the chametz dishes to the Pesach dishes. Mm-hmm. But you could do each one, right? Right. Well, what, what we're going to do is we're going to give the children the challah in something. And with that, in, right, after they finish that, we'll clean off. We're going to have disposable uh, thing. And then we're going to no more challahs. And then we continue the meal. What's the meal? The meal. Well, it's not going to be the chametz. No. If we do the conversion before, we position, But I mean, you could cook anything in. What's the difference? You don't cook any chametz. Don't use. I wouldn't use them with the shabbos. Don't use noodles. You could legally. You could, but just for convenience, I would. I would use beans, potatoes. I would use those things. I wouldn't hesitate. And rice, I would do those things. You know, like you can't prepare your cooking that far in advance. You're going to just go do the conversion after Shabbos. Okay, so if you do conversion before Shabbos... Then you can start cooking and cooking. Okay, right. That's, that's the easy thing to do. So this Shabbos, you could... Uh, mm-hmm. It's not so bad. Yeah, it's just tempted to yeah, so not so bad. You can make your kugel and everything. So I understood you correctly. You still have to heat it up. Oh, so you don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. We have the Pesach stove. We use the Pesach stove. If you use the regular stove, you have to cash it. So rice, beans, they're not, I mean, you don't want to have them, you want to sell them for Pesach, but if one little bean makes its way into the... That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
The macaroons are the problem. Noodles, those are, those are mamish comments. Or Cheerios, you know, cereal, those, that's mamish comments. But beans and rice, that's no problem. It's not so bad. It just takes a little bit of planning. Can we take everything to eat? <laughs> <laughs> that's on tape. I'll, I'll tell it to my wife. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yes. All right, so yes. we have a sure. class week after, week after next. Week after next. Okay. I'll have that Okay. I have friends in Brown, Fulwood, Tampa, you shouldn't have roasted meat. Uh, right, during the state of the two sedum, we don't have roasted meat. Don't have roasted meat. In other words, no roast at all. What does that mean? Cook. What does that mean? So what, that's what I was trying to hear. You mean like you can, in other words, you can cook a brisket? I don't know. Uh, what's that? You could take... Broil meat. Can you put it on broil? Broil? That's okay. roasting. Can you bake? Bake it. You can bake. Bake what? Bake chicken. Oh, no, no. That's you can have pot roast. You can have pot roast. That's meat cooked in liquid on top sure. of the stove. That's yes, that's true. Sure, sure. That's okay. Sure. Well, what about as opposed to? <coughs> I don't know. Well, what about turkey? Everybody makes a turkey. Nope. You do that by roasting, by putting it on the fire of the pan. Yeah, but what about a turkey? You put a turkey in the oven. When? In Pesach? Yeah. Was that was that liquid? I don't know. No, without. Oh. This is my, uh, we're doing the same in our house, which is not the first time. <laughs> well, we moved, and we're that basically only people in our family that do kosher, so everyone has to come to us now. And they always had a rolled rib roast, and I was yeah. reading this, and I said, oh, I don't know if they can have this anymore. Well, what would you roast? What would you broil anyway? Well, no, I'm just saying. No, but broil, everything is baked. Well, if you want to say you bought a new top, then you grill. You know, you want to. Grill. Oh, you grill. Yeah, but like, 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 Okay. We are not, well, let me, let me what it says there. We're not permitted to eat meat, chicken, or turkey which was broiled, roasted, or pot roast during the first two nights of Pesach. Only during the first two nights. So what do you eat? Meat that was cooked in water and the water completely evaporated, that's okay. But you don't roast or broil pot roast. Oh. Only oh. Because this roa, the, the shank bone, symbolizes the Paschal lamb, the, the Passover. So you can make a, a rich hot roast because it's cooked in liquid. Right? Right? Like you That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So so you check it up in the book. So can you roast a turkey so while you put water in the If you cook it with water, that's okay. A rolled rib roast, if it was made in that fashion, it was baked. I think that's baked. You're baker. No, you're, 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 you're